Welcome to Widowcast Podcast, where you'll find the strength to get through your journey and the skills to coach other widows to do the same. This is not a grief group. This is your journey, and it just may show you the way to make something amazing come out of the emotional pain and trauma of your loss. I'm your host, Joanne Philomena. I'm the best-selling author of the book, Widowed, and of The Widow Coach. I'm also a professionally certified life coach. Let the healing and the personal journey back to who you are begin. Hey, welcome back, you guys. This is episode 89. Oh my gosh, we're only 11 episodes to episode 100. To me, that blows my mind because when I launched this podcast, first of all, I launched it to not even be connected to my coaching business, which today is all my whole coaching business is about working with widows. Uh, But that grew out of having launched this podcast straight from the heart as a life coach and just sharing my own experiences. When I launched this, if someone had told me, hey, fast forward to the future and you would be almost approaching episode number 100, I would be like, how did I find a hundred things to talk about? Right? <laughs> how do you find a hundred things to talk about? But you know, there's afternoons when you sit down with a good girlfriend and you probably cover a hundred topics like before the first cocktail. So I guess the topics were just in me to do. Today, I want to talk about decision-making and decision fatigue, because this is such a real thing for widows and for the widow brain and for women in general. It's not something that affects you only in the first few weeks or months after becoming widowed. Um, I'm over three years a widow now, and I still sometimes find myself really struggling with decisions. Not so much as before. I mean, I've gotten really good at this because I believe in myself. I changed my decision-making process. And now when I make decisions, it's just like, bam, I've decided, done deal. I, and I'm fearless about it because I know, hey, if this was the wrong decision, no problem. I can backtrack. I can always go back and have a redo right? Or, you know, I can live with it. I can just move forward. But you can't keep yourself locked in fear of making a quote unquote wrong decision. There may be no wrong decision, just several different ways you can go with something. Trick is when you decide, you decide on it and then you just own it. You just own it because that's the direction you're going right? I came across some studies and some really interesting information on decision-making, and I want to share that with you, as well as how to change your decision-making process. There are ways to help making decisions in your life right now, big and small, so much easier for you. So much easier. Okay, so what is decision fatigue? In decision-making and psychology, decision fatigue refers to the deteriorating quality of decisions made by an individual after a long session of decision-making. It's now understood as one of the causes of irrational trade-offs and indecision. 
right? And I think for us, this becomes difficult because we designed our life with our spouse together. And maybe there were so many times that you did make decisions together, or there are certain decisions he would make, and there were certain decisions you would make. So all of the decision-making for your household was divided by two. When he passed away, now all those decisions are yours. Your number of decisions you had to make doubled. Used to be he would decide what kind of paint to buy to paint the exterior of your home, and you would decide what food you were going to put in the kids' lunch that week. Now it's all your decisions. According to multiple sources on the internet, the average amount of remotely conscious decisions that an adult makes each day equals about 35,000 decisions. In contrast, young children only make about 3,000 decisions each day. So, like, did it used to be you would get home from work and your partner would ask, what do you want for dinner? And somehow, like, that really simple question was impossible to answer. It might even be annoying that he would say, well, what do you want, what do you want for dinner? And you, you toss the choice back to, to him. You're like, so I don't care. You pick. And that game begins. Or he says, what, what do you want for dinner? You say, I don't know. What do you want for dinner? What's going on there? Why is the choice of takeout suddenly so complicated? It's because you're likely were experiencing decision fatigue. It's a syndrome many people suffer on a daily basis. And that phenomenon, it zaps your mental energy. So you've been at work all day making decisions, right? Um, and when by the time you get home, you've made all these different life decisions all day long at work. You've made decisions about work. You've made decisions on which route to take getting home. You've made decisions on whether to turn on the air conditioning in the car or not while you're sitting in traffic. You've made a decision on what you're going to listen to on the radio. Should you even turn the radio on? All of that. Your brain just gets really tired out. So you just want to shut down and do nothing. Right? All of a sudden, you get really impulsive instead of having thoughtful deliberation over things. Our decision-making muscles tire out just like our arm muscles tire out after lifting weights. For a period of time. Our brain just tires out making all those decisions. So although selecting something to eat is not a high stake decision, the fatigue that you have after making all those big decisions in other areas would make a reasonable person snap at their husband over, well, just go get what you want, right? We put off making big decisions. We do that. It creates institutional bottlenecks in our government putting off making big decisions. Choice overload is a cognitive process, right? You're going to have a difficult time making a decision when you're faced with so many options. 
um, people refer to analysis paralysis, right? It's like overthinking it. You're analyzing everything before taking any kind of action at all. So instead, you just take no action because you don't want to take the wrong action. Paralysis analysis. So making decisions uses the same willpower that you use when you want to be polite, wait your turn, right? Your ability to make the right investment or hiring decision can be reduced simply because you've used some of that willpower earlier when you held your tongue in response to a co-worker's remark, right? Or when you exerted yourself to get to the meeting on time, or when you made 10,000 little decisions just that morning. And now you need to make this investment decision or a hiring decision. And you do it impulsively because you've already hit decision fatigue. There was a research study published by the National Academy of Sciences. Psychologists examined the factors that impact whether or not a judge approves a criminal for parole. Okay. They examined like, what was it? It says 1,112 judicial rulings over a 10 month period. And all the rulings were made by a parole board judge determining whether or not to allow a criminal to be released from prison on parole. In some cases, the criminal was not asking for release, but rather just for a change in parole terms on these is what it says, fair assessment. Now, you might assume the judges were influenced by things like the type of crime committed, what laws did they break, but the researchers found exactly the opposite. The choices made by the judges were impacted by all types of things that shouldn't have any effect in a courtroom, notably the time of day. What the researchers found was at the beginning of the day, a judge was likely to give a favorable ruling about 65% of the time. However, as the morning wore on and the judge became drained from making more and more decisions, the likelihood of a criminal getting a favorable ruling steadily dropped to zero. Didn't matter what the crime was, didn't matter what the laws were broken were, it was just a matter of decision fatigue on the part of the judge. After taking a lunch break, the judges would return to the courtroom refreshed and the likelihood of a favorable ruling would immediately jump back up to 65%. But then as the hours moved on and the percentage of favorable rulings would fall back down to zero by the end of the day, because the judge was making decision after decision after decision. This trend held true for more than 1,100 cases. Didn't matter what the crime was. Could have been murder, could have been petty theft, could have been embezzlement. The crime would only get a more favorable response if their parole hearing was scheduled early in the morning or immediately after lunch. If they were late in the morning or late in the afternoon, they were kind of screwed. So what's going on there? Right? Your willpower 
is limited. Now, this is something when I was doing stop overeating and weight loss coaching, which I still sometimes do. It's a passion of mine. I went out there to solve the problem of I'm an intelligent woman and I've done all these different diets and I know how to take weight off and it never stays off. And I finally realized I was beating myself up each time, but really what was broken was the diet, not me. <laughs> okay. And one of the things I teach when I coach weight loss is that willpower is a limited resource, right? It's just like um, muscles in your body. I talked about willpower gets tired out when you're using it over and over again. And every time you make a decision, it's like doing another rep in the gym. The strength of your willpower begins to fade the more decisions you're making because it takes willpower to focus and make a decision. Just like it takes people try to depend on willpower to stay on a diet and that willpower gets challenged and eventually the willpower runs out. Eventually there's something else that goes on in their life that's like more important to focus on. Like, you know, their husband gets seriously ill and can't work for a week. And that's when now their willpower, they just don't have enough left to even think about what it is they're eating. Same thing with decisions. Makes sense. When your willpower is fading and your brain is tired of making decisions, it's easier to just say no. Right? It's easier to just say no and walk away from something. Or more often we say, you know, I need to think about it. I mean, I need to talk to my kids about it, right? So th this is all so important for you to know because you probably suffer from decision fatigue. As I said, it used to be half the decisions for your household were being made by your husband and you made the other half, but now they're all yours. And you're wondering why it's so hard to just make a decision, right? You, like your decision heavy. And decision fatigue is something that as widows, we are all dealing with, right? And there's a few ways that you can organize your life and design your day to overcome that. My, one of my favorite things to do is to make decisions ahead of time. Because if you can make a decision ahead of time for the rest of the week, your week is like so much easier, so much smoother. And by making decisions ahead of time, these are the decisions we know we're going to have to make. They're all those little tiny decisions. That way, if all those little tiny decisions have been decided ahead of time, when a big decision comes up, like, oh my God, do I need to take the car in for repair or not? You can handle it. So, Planning daily decisions the night before or the week before is a huge thing. Some of the most successful people in our world made decisions ahead of time. The example I love to share with my clients is Steve Jobs. If you remember, I remember because I was a huge fan of Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs always showed up in a pair of jeans and white tennis shoes, and a black turtleneck. It became like his uniform. And you knew whether he was just showing up for a day's relaxation with friends, 
or showing up to make an onstage presentation that was going to be shown to millions of people across the planet. He showed up in a black turtleneck, a pair of jeans, a pair of white tennis shoes. He had 50 black turtlenecks all the same. He just happened to have a, someone with the company gave him a turtleneck. He put it on. It was so comfortable. He really loved it. He told them how much he loved it. They sent him 50. <laughs> and after that, he was like, he always wanted 50 of those turtlenecks on hand. Open Steve Jobs' closet. It was jeans, black turtlenecks, and white tennis shoes. Decision made. He never had to get up and think about what he was going to wear. And you will see successful entrepreneurs today copying that. Like Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook. He's always in a gray t-shirt, jeans, and tennis shoes. Always. You can do that. I, at one time, realized when I would go on vacation to pack, I would pack, I like to pack in Ziploc bags, <laughs> okay, mostly because things don't get wrinkled when they're rolled up and put in a Ziploc bag and all the Ziploc bags are in your suitcase. Also makes it much nicer if um, the, what are they, TSA agents are going to rifle through your suitcase. <laughs> they're not putting their hands all over your clothes. They can just pat Ziploc bags, right? So, but that was not my intention. My first intention was wrinkle-free packing. And I learned about Ziploc bags. And you can even pack more because you can press all the air out of that Ziploc, put it in your suitcase. But what I started doing was I found I could put each outfit I planned to wear in a different Ziploc bag. Then I could even put the, the jewelry, not expensive jewelry, that would always go in my purse, right? My carry-on. But, you know, costume jewelry, I could put that in the same zip, Ziploc bag. So I started putting the accessories in the Ziploc with each outfit. So when I got to where I was traveling to, maybe I was going to be there for three days, I could just grab a Ziploc bag and there is my outfit with a pair of panties and the appropriate brassiere and all of that in one Ziploc bag. Made getting dressed in the morning at a strange hotel a no-brainer. And then I went, I, I need to do this at home. And I did. I started organizing my closet by outfits. And even, you know, sometimes you buy jewelry and they come in those beautiful little mesh bags with ribbon drawstrings. I put the earrings and necklace or bracelet, whatever I want to wear with the outfit in one of those little baggies. And I can slip the little ribbon drawstrings right over the top of the hanger. So my closet has outfits with the accessories with them, and I can plan for a whole week what I'm going to wear. And then, hey, decision made, decision made. I instruct my weight loss clients to do this for their food, to plan for the entire week what they're going to eat. Actually, we automate a lot of their meals so that they're having, it's basically the same thing for lunch every day, and they don't even have to think about it right? They get um, those prepared salads in a bag, throw away the dressing, throw away the little packets of goodies because that's going to screw up your weight loss. If you're not concerned about your weight, feel free. <laughs> but those packages of already chopped up lettuce and kale and whatever else is in there, they could just dump that in a bowl, put on 
the ranch dressing or whatever olive oil, whatever fat they want that they've already decided in advance that's going to be their fat for the for the meal and throw some protein in there. Like maybe they've already got um, some browned up ground beef they're going to throw in there or some shredded up chicken. And that's their meal every day, so they don't have to think about it. As a matter of fact, on Sunday, they can like cook up a pound of ground beef. That's going to be four salads. They divide that out into little containers. They can cook up chicken. They can like boil up chicken breasts and shred that chicken and separate it up into packets of four or five ounces of protein that they can just grab out of the fridge. And their meal is like totally automated, decision made. There is no figuring out what I'm going to take for lunch the next day, or maybe I'll eat out with the girls, or maybe I'll just eat donuts in the break room. It's decision made. I say make this a part of your life. Like plan your meals out for the week. Decide what meals you really love. You can repeat them. You can like have weekly menus and shopping lists that go with each one. So you can just go buy the stuff put it away. You know exactly what you're eating for the week. You know exactly what you're wearing for the week because you've got your out, you've got your closet designed by outfits. Decisions that are made ahead of time are amazing. I'm telling you, the more things you can decide ahead of time for yourself, life is so much better. One of my coaches told me how she used to like go shopping and through all the different stores. And when she caught on to this, she found one store that their sizes fit her perfectly and she loved their stuff. And so she decided when she needed to buy something new, she was just going to that store. It was all, it happened to be White House Black Market, which doesn't work for me, but for her was perfect, Right. So she would just always go to White House Black Market anytime she needed something. I need a new white shirt. Walk in there, buy a white shirt. Boom, done. I was fascinated with that idea. Like I could decide, just find the one clothing retailer that fits me really well. And I know that anytime I need a new dress, I'm just going to go there and find a dress. Period. I'm not going to walk an entire mall. I'm not going to web surf for an entire afternoon and most of the evening. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine the number of hours that we spend if we're looking for a dress? Holy cow. I mean, I used to. Now it's like bang, bang, bang. So when you plan daily decisions ahead of time, even if it's just the night before, you really start overcoming decision fatigue. People will tell you, do the most important thing first. Stop making decisions. Start making commitments. That's something that I do now. Like a lot of times we have trouble making a decision because we're so afraid we're going to decide the wrong thing, right? Like we, we have fear that we're going to like make the wrong decision and then we're going to be embarrassed. We're going to be disappointed in ourselves. We don't want to feel those things. It's like, just don't do that at all. You want to make your decision and just commit to your decision. Like, done deal. I'm just committed to it. Right or wrong, that was my decision. Remember the judge study. If you have to make good decisions later in the day, eat something first. 
be like the judges. They were able to make better decisions in court after they came back from lunch. And simplify. Simplify. Here's what is so important about that. If you have a whole bunch of different choices, then you're going to struggle about which one to pick. You want to eliminate everything, narrow it down to two things, two choices, three at the most, and then pick one. You just pick one. If you're looking at eight different possibilities, you're not going to be able to make a decision. It's just not. It's too many variables. So just start eliminating things like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. No, nah, that's to this, that's too blue, that's too red, knock things out. And then when you've got it down to two things, just pick one and run with it. There are some really important keys. First though, I want to talk to you about the way you're making your decisions because we base our decisions on the past. We want to make our decision the same way we made decisions in the past. But the way you made decisions in the past is why you are right where you are now. Maybe that's not such a good thing. I like to make decisions based on the future, like from the future. I like to connect with myself in the future who already did that thing and ask her what she would do. <laughs> I can make my decisions based on the future. So many times our fears around making a decision, our fears around picking the wrong thing. If you just ask yourself, what is the worst thing that could happen with that decision? Sometimes the worst thing that could happen is that you end up being right where you are right now. And if you don't make the decision to try something, you'll never know if it panned out well or not. You'll never know if making that decision ended up in your making like $300,000. Maybe you end up $300,000 richer from the decision you made. But if out of fear and indecision, you just don't do it, you stay safely where you are, where you are is right where you would come back to if that decision didn't pan out. So it's like nothing lost, but nothing gained if you don't go for it. In the past, I used to tell people this all the time. And this is, you know, before our spouses passed away, if we were faced with a major decision, we would say, well, I need to talk to my husband about it first. Isn't that funny? We used to do that. And I, one time I thought about it, I thought, you know what? It's not like I would text him every time I bought a Starbucks. If I was buying shoes for my kid, I wouldn't text my husband to say, is it okay if I buy our kid shoes? If I were going to order a cocktail before dinner when I was out with my girlfriends, I wasn't going to text him and say, do you think it's okay if I do this? And here's the thing. How would you have talked to your spouse about spending a large sum of money on something. Because I think we all do this now. We do it in our head because our spouse is gone and that's why we're paralyzed with fear. And we have that conversation in our head. And maybe our conversation with our husband would have gone something like this. Like say you're spending, I don't know, 
$5,000 on something. Would it sound like this? Well, it sounds like a lot of money and I'm scared. I'm worried that I won't make that investment back or it won't be worth it. I don't know if I should do this. Like maybe it's not the right thing. What do you think? <laughs> of course, what is he going to think? He was going to go, well, if you don't feel good about it, then I don't think you should do it. Don't, you know, I don't want you to spend $5,000 of our money on something you're not sure about. But if you were sure of yourself, you could say, hey, I want to talk to you about this because I, like, I so respect you. I'm going to spend $5,000 on this thing to invest in myself. Maybe, maybe it's like, I'm going to learn to coach and I feel really confident that this is the direction I need to take myself. Then he's going to respond in a whole different way, right? The truth is we wanted our husband to agree that we should spend money so he would be equally responsible if we didn't get the result we want. But you said I could. We just wanted them to make us feel better about our decision in case we failed. It's our own fear. And here's where we are now. Our spouse has passed away. So now we don't have anybody else to make them be as responsible as we are for our decisions. We don't have somebody else that we could say, okay, it's going to be his fault. It's not all on me. I don't have to take full responsibility for what I decide here. I can make him own half of that responsibility if this is a bad decision. <laughs> make somebody else be responsible. And I hear that. I hear that now when I talk to widows. Sometimes a widow is talking to me about doing my course and says, you know, I need to talk to my son about it. I need to talk to my kids about it. I need to, you know, it's what they want somebody else to be as responsible as they are. Change your process of decision-making and take the opportunity for your next decision to be transformation for you right in that process. Be responsible for your own results and believe in yourself. Like maybe for the first time, truly believe in yourself. That's the thing. And it's not easy. It's not easy for us to all of a sudden say, wow, I have to be totally responsible for every decision I make, for all the money I spend, for screwing up. And am I capable of that? We freak out. But you can be responsible. You can take responsibility. And when you take the responsibility and make a decision, then you own it. You own it and make sure you get from it everything you needed from that decision. You are like going to make that decision work. You're going to work harder because you're taking 100% responsibility for it. If you make the decision to get yourself a new car and you don't have to go bounce that off of somebody else, you don't have to go to your husband and say, I really like the car. I don't know if we should spend this much money. <laughs> but you make that decision yourself now. You're like, I, I need a new car. This is how much I'm going to spend on it. And I saw this car that I really love. I'm going to get this car. Then if the car turns out to be a lemon, you can go, well, okay, that was really a bad idea. <laughs> Let's see if we can get rid of this car and get a better one. Or you just love your car. I'm the one that made the decision to buy my PT Cruiser, my my clients, my students, my certified widow coaches, they all know about my PT cruiser because I love my cruiser. I've been driving the cruiser for 18 years now. 
<laughs> still has less than 50,000 miles on it. I love my cruiser. I was the one that made the decision to buy that cruiser. And I'm telling you, I love that car more than any car I ever bought in the past. Right? So you want to identify the decision to be made, right? As, as well as think about the outcome you want to achieve through making that decision. And weigh the possible outcomes. Ask yourself, what's the worst that can happen? Right? If I make decision A, what's the worst that can happen? And can I live with those consequences? Or if I make decision B, what's the worst that could happen? And can I live with the consequences? And then you just make the decision. You pick one. You just, anyone, doesn't matter. Most of the time, you guys, it really doesn't matter. You just pick. And then monitor your results. And make sure you get the desired outcome for yourself. Okay? Things to think about. There's no guarantees. You're never going to know in advance whether a decision will be correct. I think we want to know for sure that everything is going to work out perfectly before we decide. And you're just not going to be able to do that. You just have to be prepared to take a little risk. And look for the opportunities. If you make a decision and it's not panning out the way you wanted it to, this is an opportunity to learn. Like, why didn't that work? Why? Most of the time, decisions are reversible. You can change your mind. Okay? Hindsight is twenty twenty. On occasion, you might discover in hindsight situations that may have affected your decision had you known about them earlier. This is normal and it's typical. It can't, you can't let that stall your decision-making process. Again, that's trying to make sure that every single thing is going to be perfect if you make that decision and you can't know that. Instead, you want to get stuck and do nothing. That's what you want to avoid, right? If you've done everything you can to make a decision and you still can't make up your mind, don't delay making that important decision for fear that you don't know enough about it or fear of making the wrong choice. Don't let fear stop you. People become so paralyzed with the fear of making a wrong decision that they just panic and lose sight of what it is they're trying to do. I call it failing ahead of time, actually. When somebody is so afraid they avoid making the decision, you're just like, well, if I choose to do that, I might fail. So, and I don't want to feel like a failure. So I'll just not make the decision to do that. I'll just choose to fail at it ahead of time. <laughs> you're failing at it because you won't even try it. Don't second guess yourself. In the end, after you've made your decision, second guessing yourself is going to undermine what you're trying to accomplish. So once you've made the decision, it's like, let the chips fall where they may. You're just going to own that decision. When all is said and done, you can do the best with what you have to work with. And you're just going to make your decisions and own it. You're going to make as many little decisions ahead of time that you can. You're going to narrow down your choices. Even if it's like a one-time big, huge decision, Narrow down all the choices. 
And when you've narrowed that down to like two choices, just pick one. At that point, it's not even going to matter. You just pick one and then own it. That's how you make a decision. And you're going to feel great about it because you took responsibility for it and you believe in yourself. Self-belief is big. It's like, I can choose to make this decision. I can just go with it. I can own it because I believe in myself. I know I did the right thing. That's how to make a decision and how to avoid decision fatigue. It's a real thing. It's a real thing for widows. Man, our decision-making process gets so messed up when we are first widowed. It's bad enough we're in shock and, and in that fog and we have widow brain. And on top of it, we're supposed to make decisions. And we have so many decisions to make, right? It, that's when it becomes overwhelming. That's when we're like those judges who just say no to everybody after a few hours because they are in a state of decision fatigue. So I hope this helps you. Get out there and decide. Decide what you want for your future. That's a big decision. And it's an exciting decision and it's an energizing decision. It's a decision I make like every day. I re-choose for my future and I love doing that now. And I have a whole bunch of decisions that are made ahead of time. Know what I'm going to wear each day. Know what I'm going to eat for lunch each day. Know exactly what I'm going to fix for dinner. And I know what my shopping list will be next week. It's all a done deal. If you'd like to find out more about working with me and learning to make decisions, <laughs> if you want to know more about um, widow coaching and how to certify to become a widow coach, if this is something that you might be able to do, I want you to reach out to me. And it's easy. You just go to widowcoaches.com, put in your name, your email address. I will send you back an email with a link where you can go answer some questions for me. You can email me directly, bug the bejesus out of me. I would love it. <laughs> email me and say, Joanne, I want to be a certified widow coach. Call me and I will do it. We'll get on the phone together. So that website address again to find out more is to go to widowcoaches.com and it asks for your name and your email address. You can also go check out my website at joannethelifecoach.com. Love to hear from you guys. Get out there, make decisions easier for yourself, and find some joy in your life. We'll talk to you again real soon. <laughs>